Welcome to the Faculty Podcast brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Part of a 50-plus year endeavor to prepare pastors and other church leaders in a biblically and confessionally faithful way for the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president here at the RTS Washington campus. I'm joined by our dean of students, Dr. Peter Lee. Hey, Peter. Hey, Scott. Good to be with you again. Also joined by our academic dean, Dr. Tommy Keene. Hey, Tommy. Glad to be here. Great to have you. Also joined by a professor of systematic theology, Gray Sutanto. Hey, Gray. Great to be here once again. And our lecturer in New Testament, Dr. Paul Jean, also pastor of New City Presbyterian Church here in the Northern Virginia area. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me, Scott. So we are talking today about pastor scholars. We're thinking through what does it look like for a pastor to also be engaged in the work of theological, and I suspect also we could talk about other disciplines, sociological, um, you know, historical scholarship, and what role does that play in the job, in the calling of the pastor? How do we encourage that within the pastorate? How do we practice our everyday lives so that we nurture that ability of pastor scholarship uh, as pastors? And it's an important question because I think we live in a day today where people are unsure about the role of scholarship in the pastoral ministry. And that's probably going to look different. The role is going to look different in different, um, in different lives and in the way in which people perceive of their job as pastor and think about their own skill sets and values and desires. So let's start off with this idea of the pastor scholar. How do we define pastor scholarship? All right. So let me give my um, layman's uh, definition. Uh, for me, I, I don't think that every pastor obviously needs a PhD, but I think also, I think both sides are overstated. You know, you have very few that say, well, you know, pastors should get a PhD. I think that's the minority. But I think that it's also overstated that when people say PhD is useless in ministry, I think that that could be overstated um, because pastors at the end of the day need to constantly be learning. And so the way I define a pastor scholar is more as a pastor student. You know, one of the things that I've learned from like my years of studying is that you actually do not know that much. Even when you're considered a specialist in an area, the more you study that area, the more you realize you just don't know that much. And so I think um, a pastor needs to be a pastor student. If, uh, so I use that interchangeably. And uh, two reasons for that for the pastor in terms of practical ministry is number one, for you to be able to minister well to different people, right? You do need to learn a lot because people come from very different walks. But the other thing is this, um, if you're not constantly learning, that will come out in your teaching and your preaching. So one of the reasons why I think sometimes pastors rotate uh, from one church to another is after two, three years, both they and the congregation feel like uh, the pastor's preaching the same sermon again and again. It's lacking freshness. So, you know, there is actually very practical value to the discussion that we're having. That's a really helpful way of putting it, the pastor-student, because there's this assumption that, the, you know, in this idea of pastor-scholar, that there's this metaphorical, of course, ivory tower that the pastor-scholar might sit in. 
to pontificate and philosophize and, and, and this being kind of this luxurious model for what it means to, to be a, a pastor scholar. But of course, what we really mean by it is the goal of pastoral ministry is always being refined, always being discussed, talked about. We're, we're constantly learning and doing so to serve our congregations, to serve the people that God has put in our, in our care. So I like that way of putting it, Paul, because it shifts the, the focal point. The focal point isn't that the, the pastor as expert so much as the pastor as modeling the process of coming to a greater and greater understanding of scripture and that greater and greater understanding being then useful not only for the pastor, but for the congregation. You know, I think actually part of that view that Paul just expressed, Tom, and you were talking about there, this idea that as we learn more, we realize how much more there is to learn. I think that's actually a view that comes from having done scholarship, <laughs> you know, to a certain extent. It's interesting to me that the people who often think, well, no, it's obvious and clear exactly what the answer is or what, you know, where the state of art is. Those people are often people who have been reading popularizers of academic material and not actually doing academic material, you know. So that's one of the values of a pastor staying engaged in scholarship in whatever area they're doing uh, or they're staying engaged is that they get to see what arguments are going on out there in the field, what people are trying to figure out. As, as human knowledge grows, it's, it is like a balloon. You know, as it grows, uh, the space that it becomes in contact with, that's not the balloon, grows as well. So as we grow in knowledge, we also grow in our questions. And I think that brings a certain humility to the field that, um, that we lose if we're just reading the popularizers of academic work. You know, so much of ministry is really being able to listen well and to dialogue well, right? And one of the benefits of constantly learning is that, like you just said, you actually become more humble because again, you realize you don't know as much as you think. And that really does translate into the way you relate to people. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think you know, thinking back on perhaps the first year of doing your PhD studies and then thinking like, oh, I'm ready for this. I can do anything. And then once you come out and realizing, man, there's still so much I don't know. A lot of people here who are not Christians are much smarter than me. A lot of people here who are not reformed are much smarter than me. And perhaps, you know, I could therefore hold the same view that, that I did when I was coming in, but I have to hold that very differently. Hold it more in a looser fashion, perhaps, especially when uh, these things that I believe are not to do with the essential matters of the faith, for example, right? Because then you're aware of the possibility of these objections that arise to your views, right? And I also think the reason why we need to be pastor students for all of our lives is because we're trying to feed congregants something that we believe is their ultimate good, right? Uh, so there's a presupposition of, of the telos of human nature here uh, that we're trying to get, give to them. And we have to give that to them in a way that is humble. And so we're not just foolishly dogmatic about particular views, but we're trying to communicate theological matters that are really deep. If we believe that human beings are made in God's image and their highest good is to behold God, to know the triune God in Jesus Christ, then we have to know this faith. We need to know uh, what the scriptures say about this God. We need to know how the church has received, uh, how we're thinking about this God. We need to know the creeds and the confessions and so on, because 
that's what would lead uh, our congregant members towards greater maturity and also ultimately towards greater joy in Christ. So if we're not actually learning these things from the scriptures, from historical theology, church history, in a way that is humbling, in a way that is uh, winsome, then we're not actually giving the congregants what they are ultimately needing. There is a cost to all that, though. And I'm wondering, since I think all of us have been full-time pastors and part-time scholars or part-time scholars and full-time pastors in some respect, balancing the time, like finding the time to do scholarship, to listen well, to be constantly learning amidst all of the other pastoral responsibilities, whether it's the building fund or making sure the youth group doesn't implode this week or, you know, counseling sessions and hospital visitations. I mean, personally, in when I was in full-time, full-time pastor, it always felt like a bit of a cheat to read and to study rather than to go do something. And as I'd, be, I'd be interested in hearing how people have navigated, how you all have navigated that challenge. I'm sure most pastors feel that. Just thinking about my own Asian context and, and growing up in Jakarta, Singapore, and also knowing some of the church backgrounds here and the seminaries here, I do think that there's this idea that being in scholarship is a luxury, um, that really what makes a mature Christian, what makes a mature pastor is someone who engages in particular practices, someone who emulates a particular way of life. Oftentimes, that way of life is very much informed by a kind of Confucianist, pietistic way of understanding maturity, where it's rhythms of not or abstaining from certain things, abstaining from going to the cinema, uh, waking up in certain hours, going to sleep in certain hours, being a, having a completely regulated schedule where reading and studying might be one part, but it's not actually a priority. It's more about the kind of submissiveness uh, of, of the person that we're trying to achieve here. And so I think one of the ideas of, of, of what we're trying to say here in terms of a pastor student is that reading, writing, getting clear about what the text means and how to apply the text winsomely and yet at the same time in an intellectually responsible fashion is actually not a luxury, but actually an essential part of what it means to be a pastor, which means that alongside all those other good practices, we don't want to just get rid of good discipline, right? Um, studying is actually a priority that we have to put in the forefront of our list rather than just something that we do in the back burner. One of the things that I really do love, this isn't a cheap plug for RTSDC, but one of the reasons why I do really love RTSDC is everyone on faculty has been a pastor. And so um, they understand the, like, the challenges uh, implicit in the question that Tommy just raised. For me, uh, practically, this is um, two things I would suggest. Number one is this. I would encourage um, any pastor that's listening to realize that you have to start with the mindset that constantly studying is not an option. You know, Gray just talked about this. So you really have to see that as part of your calling to constantly study because in my experience, and you know, I've worked with a lot of pastors. And so my perspective is not just theoretical is that at some point they get quote unquote practical and they give up studying and they just, you know, depend on the stuff that, they've learned or just from the commentaries that they're reading while they're doing sermon preparation. But I would encourage pastors, you have to really resolve that I'm going to make this work because once you have that mindset, you actually become very creative in the way that you 
do it, you know. Um, and then the second thing is this, I would uh, really encourage pastors, like I'm not a morning person by any means, right? And so this is just my two cents, but this is how I've made it work. Uh, once the day begins for me, you know, I have three young kids. Uh, I, I have fairly a young church still. And then, you know, I have uh, seminary responsibilities, much of which entails meeting people, writing emails and so forth. I find that I cannot study in a very disciplined, focused way once the day begins, because um, to really read a text that's difficult, you know, and to process it requires uh, concentrated, focused time. And so as much as I'm not a morning person, my routine now is I do wake up at five because the day begins around 7.30. That's when everyone wakes up. And at that point, I just accept that I'm not going to get real work done in terms of study, right? And so from 5 to 7.30, um, after I caffeinate, I find that that has been very fruitful for me, like where um, I just write and read, write and read. And over the course of like many years, that's, that's been the most concrete, practical way for me to well, I, I appreciate everything you guys are sharing. And, and uh, Tommy, to your question about, which I think is kind of asking of how a pastor can manage all of the responsibilities plus the more um, uh, cerebral aspects of what we do. I do feel like I, I need to uh, clarify what I mean by a real pastor, as I've received an enormous amount of flack in recent days uh, regarding this. Uh, interestingly, it's all come from you guys, by the way. I've not received one single email in critique, so I know it's all in good fun. Uh, I don't mean in any way that you guys are not pastors. Uh, uh, you guys have been pastors to me and have helped me in many different ways, and I've always appreciated that. And I don't, of course, mean that the pastors that are out in the field right now are not intellectual or, or cognitive or cerebral. I don't mean that either. I guess I just see the, uh, the role of uh, being called to, to shepherd or to minister to a set congregation who have made vows to you, that you as a pastor have made vows to them. You know, we, we don't do that in the truest sense uh, with our students. That, that's all I meant by that. And I know you guys didn't. Uh, mean that in any particular way, but just just to clarify the air. <laughs> um, I, I have found it helpful, uh, Tommy, to your question. You know, there was a time in my life where I was uh, working on my PhD, uh, planting the church, and teaching at the seminary, and what I found helpful is to divide my day, real practically, was to divide my day into four quadrants, a morning, an afternoon, early evening, and late evening. And what I would do is uh, set aside one particular responsibility per quadrant. What I generally found is that when I make a pastoral visit, that's never an hour. It's always two or something longer. You just never know what's going to uh, happen. So the idea of trying to meet with a person for an hour, then say I'm going to meet with someone else the next following hour, it never works out that way. And uh, so what I would say is I'm going to meet with so-and-so in the morning, and that's all I'm going to do for that morning. I'm going to sermon prep this afternoon, and that's all I'm going to do for that afternoon. I'm going to read, uh, dedicate my time reading this book or attend this class on this quadrant, and that's all I'm going to do. To Paul's point, and I think this is important because it's so insightful, we kind of know our own rhythm. You know, when, when are we most... Uh, able to think clearly is when we need to be more engaged in the more intellectual aspects of what we do. So if you're not a morning person, don't read a book in the morning. That's, that seems silly. 
you know, uh, if you need to caffeinate, great term, by the way, I, I love that. If you need to caffeinate, uh, then, then caffeinate, you know, you know, moderately, you know what I mean? And, and that's basically how I survived it. Uh, as long as I knew what day of the week it was, is, and, and I filled out my kind of day in four different quadrants, that's uh, how, uh, how you survive, and that's uh, how, how, how I did things. And that's actually, to, to this day, how I still uh, do things. One of the things I've really tried to do as well is to kind of integrate the 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 scholarly aspect of things into the regular rhythm of pastoral ministry so when i mean the most obvious way to do this the easiest way to do this of course is sermon prep making sure that it's i mean yes it's you in the text and i've got dedicated time where i am wrestling with the text and there are no commentaries there it's just me a pencil and prayer. And I think that that's important, an important part of the process, but then being intentional about what commentaries that I am using in order to prep for sermons. I usually have a, you know, an old, good old reformed stalwart commentary in there, a Calvin or something like that. But I also make sure that at least one of my commentaries in, in, in the arsenal for whatever series that I'm in is a more modern, even critical commentary that forces me to kind of think outside the box. I'm not going to agree with everything that's in there, but it keeps me up to date in the conversation that is going on in the academy and in the, in the broader church in a way that perhaps Calvin will not. Um, and being intentional then about the way I'm prepping for that, that sermon, that Sunday school, can can just it synergizes well with the 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 academic side of things and you can do that you can model that in other areas as well i i during the course of pastoral ministry i try to make sure i always had a business book in the arsenal one of those kind of good to great or you know, popular level kind of you know management leadership type of books to to just make sure that i'm constantly learning and 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 a part of a broader conversation yeah I think that's a really great reminder, Tommy, because, you know, something that, again, Bavink is so good at is that Christianity is only against sin and not against culture or nature as such, right? And so I think a lot of uh, pastors might be afraid of the word contextualization or preaching in a way that captivates the, the, the listener's heart, right? Because they think that this might be compromising the purity of the truth that you're trying to say or something like that but actually if we're thinking about how we can actually engage our listeners and the questions that they are actually wrestling with we need to know what they're thinking about we need to know what popular culture is saying we need to know uh, what the news cycle is saying right uh, so one way that i try to do that is i read up on news events but also i read up on film commentary and i read up on book literature reviews and things like that things that I think my congregation might be thinking about or reading about or watching or enjoying, trying to see how the theological truths that we find in scripture can be penetrating and also immediately relevant to what it is they're trying, they're trying to wrestle with. And this is actually, again, an act of faithfulness. It's not a compromise of the, the purity of the gospel, I think, to do that, but rather it shows and demonstrates the beauty and immediate power of the gospel to particular questions, even in the modern age. I think there's something to these practices that we're talking about that also have to do with your personality and your just your your own 
way of doing things and teach and, and growing and, and, and reading. Uh, I, I realize now just in this conversation, how deeply influenced I was by that old HR thing, you know, human resources retreat uh, illustration that people would use where they'd have a, a jar with a rock and some sand and some water and some pebbles. And they'd say, fill the jar and um you know everybody would put in the sand first and then the water and then the pebbles and then finally the rocks and you couldn't get everything in and then the the uh the guru would show you how if you put the rocks in first and then the pebbles and then the sand and then the water you can get it all in because the sand fills in the cracks between the the rocks and i remember kind of thinking through my life way back at the early you know early time in my you know business world when i was doing public relations downtown and I realized how much that influenced me because for me, you know, being the president of the campus, there's so much business to be done. There's revenue, there's budgets, there's human resources, there's facilities, there's all these different things going on that it's very really hard to, to find time for scholarship when I've got a family. And I, as I'm listening to this conversation, I'm realizing how often I squeeze scholarship in, in the times that I can fine to do it. And that will sometimes be in the form of having a day set aside for reading. And I just basically make a decision ahead of time that I'm not going to be able to do some other things because I'm going to be doing research and working on a project. I find if that's directed work, it's, it's a lot more fruitful than if it's undirected, if it's just kind of reading, you know, just through books, I need to direct myself towards a project. But also, I mean, we have all these resources like podcasts, you know, and uh, and lectures. It's amazing what you can listen to. I, I keep fresh on linguistics. I keep fresh on biblical theology. Um, there's there's biblical studies uh, podcasts that are excellent where you get to actually listen to experts. You know, and I think that's part of it for the pastor scholar who is really trying to lay hold of the fruits of scholarship going on today. I would encourage people to invest time in actual scholarship and get to a point, you know, as you all have already been saying, where as we grow in our ministries, we get to points where we have greater and greater expertise and we can lean on that. Get to a point where you're reading real scholars and not merely popularizers of scholarship. Now, popularizers are important, maybe, maybe even disparately important in terms of the, the, the life of the church. But as a pastor, you want to also be able to engage, I think, at a high level of scholarship, at least in some areas. And that's in part so that you can add to the depth of your, your own teaching and preaching because you know kind of where the state of the field is. It also adds to your humility because you'll realize how much more there is to know on any given topic as we've already talked about. But I think it actually just gives you also this kind of, um, it gives you a credibility when you're dealing with some of these really difficult questions that arise in biblical scholarship and teaching, you know, and, and if you've got that popular view, you might have, you might have a false certainty or a false confidence in an idea that's actually not really essential to the gospel. But as soon as you articulate that and your congregation member goes on to college or something and learns how that view actually wasn't you know, so well established, they're going to come back and they're going to wonder, okay, what, what else did this pastor not know about? Okay. And I know that's a terrifying idea for many pastors out there, but I do think it's the reason why we need to be 
staying as engaged as we can with the scholarship that's going on out there, both in the areas of biblical theology or sociology or business practice. We need to be staying as up to date as we can for the care of our people, right? It's not just to keep yourself smart or to lord yourself over others, but this is for the care of your people that you can have that depth, that humility, and that uh, realistic notion of what is known out there so that you can teach in a way that's effective. It is terrifying in some ways that that idea that your congregate, your student going out and, and not knowing what they don't know. But I think to that point, that your, your qualification there, Scott, that at least in some areas that we need to kind of pursue expertise, at least in some areas is really important. I mean, all, all of us on kind of the scholarly end of our career path here know, you know, that a dissertation, a PhD, you know, you are studying something that is so specific, so small. I mean, I'm an expert on Hebrews 8 to B, and that's it. Like, that's the only thing I know about in any sort of depth. You, but one of the things that that does is give you humility when it comes to Romans 1, 4, A. And, and I know that, well, I need to be qualified about the way I'm speaking about that. And, and pursuing expertise in any one area helps, helps cultivate humility in, in all of those areas so that you're not over-concluding, you're not over-speaking. Now, of course, there's, I think, again, like the personalities comment, there are going to be some things that you naturally gravitate to and you need to, you can pursue those much more naturally. And there's some things that you're not going to naturally gravitate to. I, I don't know a lot of pastors that say, yeah, I'm really good at administration. I'm really good at answering emails and keeping the ship tight and all that kind of stuff. I certainly was not, but it's something that I had to learn. And so there's areas where I'm going to pursue expertise precisely because it's a natural fit. And then there's areas that I'm going to pursue some sort of level of expertise precisely because I'm bad at it and I need it. That, that's what the church needs in order to, to survive. So kind of thinking again strategically about how we're doing that, what we're pursuing, uh, not trying to be a jack of all trades, partnering with those who are better at, at me than, than, than at other things, but at the same time finding some areas where it would be useful for me to be the, uh, for lack of a better word, expert in the room. I think it's worth emphasizing that this is really, really difficult, that uh, studying and reading and writing and keeping up with the recent literature, whether it's scholarly or even, you know, uh, what's going on in the culture and in today's world, it takes a lot of mental activity and takes a lot of time and energy. And I actually really think that we really have only about three hours of good focus time a day. I think our brains could only handle three hours of good focus time a day. I could be wrong about that. Maybe that's just me, but I've read in certain uh, uh, articles that that's perhaps true. And I think that trying to locate at least once a week focus time of two hours, three hours in studying would be really useful. I try to also schedule meetings and things like that, things that are more engaging that that actually stimulates in a more natural way right i try to locate those in my afternoons because i find myself slumping in the afternoon and just uh um, feeling slow and lethargic because my brain activity has probably been spent by then and i try to just keep myself engaged by meeting people and being attent attentive to to meetings and things like that 
And so again, being strategic about what you do with your time, because again, this is really, really difficult work and it's still essential to engage in this really difficult work if you want to be a pastor. This might be a terrible thing to say, but I'll just say it. I think pastors can sometimes provide spiritual reasoning or excuses for actually not learning things that they're not comfortable with. And so I think to Tommy's point, like, hey, there are some things that we may not like or that we may not uh, naturally gravitate towards, but, you know, guess what? Like, part of life is really just you know doing what you don't want to do but that's necessary you know like um i would say that before i got married i actually didn't know how to cook anything but i couldn't like have a family and say well uh, that's just you know that's just not my thing right so i think what tommy is saying is very fitting that we need to be okay recognize that there may be certain things we're not attracted to but um, we're going to do it nevertheless. And I do think that learning administrative skills would be one of those. The other thing that Gray uh, highlighted that I think that is a very biblical idea is that ministry is labor. You know, when you look at Paul's letters, he often compares ministry to uh, like an elite athlete or a hardworking farmer, right? And I just think that uh, pastors need to take that very seriously. Like, I I don't want to be in any way legalistic here or so forth. But I think that there should be a sense that in your church, you are considered one of the hardest workers, right? And so um, I agree with everything that's being said, like reading, writing, studying, all these things are hard. But if you're not going to work hard, Paul, the apostle himself says, well, you know, then pastoral ministry might not be the right fit for you. And um and that's just something I would just encourage our listeners to uh, really take to heart. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think about a doctor or, you know, a lawyer, you wouldn't want your doctor to show up at the office and be relying on 20 year old information that he learned back when he was in med school, right? You'd want to make sure he was up to date on the recent scholarship. Um, and, and, and I think that's why it's so important that as we're thinking through how we do pastoral ministry and how we do, honestly, to that, to the same extent, how we do seminary ministry, you know, to what extent are we considering the efficacy and the up-to-dateness of our work and our scholarship as part of the actual work of the job? You know, I, th- I think that's why it's it's so important for us to see this as, really influencing everything else that we're doing in our vocations as, as ministers. It has to be a part of it. Everything that I'm doing, whether I'm doing the budget or I'm thinking about strategic initiatives, I need to be thinking about it in light of how it benefits the congregation and how it, it deepens their understanding and their involvement in the growth of the kingdom of God. And my scholarship is no different from that, right? I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm doing scholarship. I'm doing, Uh, I'm keeping up to date to a certain extent. I'm keeping my mind fresh and I'm challenging it so that when they come and they hear the pastor talk, when they come and they hear the sermon, they themselves are being challenged, right? They'll be challenged as the pastor is challenged. I I always remember, you know, as a kid picking up Jared Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and reading it in junior high. And I remember one one of the beautiful things about it 
was the way in which Tolkien wrote in such a way that you knew that there was this whole world behind the book, right? There was this whole world behind the story. He'd, 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 he'd mention another language or he'd mention a historical character from Middle Earth and then wouldn't, wouldn't explain who the person was. And you would just know like, wow, there's this whole other thing going on then, that I'm not aware of. And it, and it helps remind you uh, I mean, whether it's a novel or whether it's reading scripture, it reminds you that there is this whole universe. You know, the, the, the saying that, that the Bible is, uh, you know, is a puddle that a, that a child can play in and it's an ocean that a grown man can drown in. We need to remember that second part too, right? The depth of the teaching of scripture that you'll never get to the bottom of it. And I think that's so important for the imaginations of our congregations to to learn that and that's why you can't think of scholarship you can't think of reading and doing background research as like me time if you're a pastor like this is for the congregation and uh and it's and it's for their benefit and, and you got to find a way to fit it in and granted pastors have got so many things on their shoulders that that can take a lot of hard work and i think that's part of the hard work of being a pastor is finding ways to do that while also caring for your family and being a you know, functioning member of society that's so uh uh, helpful and insightful. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, the enormous amount of podcasts that now are available that are providing all of this now information and data that we've never had before, you know, just the onset of the internet and all of that now makes uh, so much information so accessible that uh, our members in the church, are they're going to be exposed to this. They're going to see this. They're going to read this. And, and they may have difficulties discerning what is true and what's not true, what's biblical, not biblical. It's the pastors really who have to help their people navigate through all of that and know how to uh, think through these things biblically. I guess the term pastor scholar I embrace because it so encapsulates the intellect and the will in terms of our just uh, uh, our, our humanity, you know, and... Um, I remember when we were in our PhD program studying, you know, Hebrew verb forms and the whole intent of the narrative verb and the various different uses of it. And people challenging me, you know, in those days, how is this going to help you be a better pastor? Well, you know, this is part of the language. This is part of the way in which scripture was written to understand the language is to understand scripture, to understand scripture is to understand the word of God. How is that not relevant? Now I get, you know, you have to make some, you have to think through that a little bit, but the divide between the academy and the in pastoral ministry is not nearly, there is not nearly a chasm there as big as we may want it out to be. And that there, the two are sort of integrated together where we as pastors, real pastors in the fullest sense of the word are, are called to minister to our people holistically. And we see that, I mean, every Easter we see that, you know, people will ask about the historicity of the resurrection or the, or did the, uh, the canon of scripture, was that really something that man put together? These are theological questions. And our members are asking this because they read it on the internet. They see documentaries on National Geographic, uh, they will uh, see things like this and get really confused. Um, and, you know, we as pastors uh, and those who are in, in, in the ministry are called to, uh, to help our people really navigate through that, to know how to work through this in such a way that is clarifying and, and helpful. And I think pastors need to be willing to say, I don't know when they don't know the answer to something, you know, and they need to be willing to ask others. I mean, one of the things I try to point out in some classes 
is, you know, here's a, here's maybe a bad teaching that's out there in the evangelical church. Just be aware that's, that's not a really solid idea. Okay. Or that's not a silver bullet argument on your behalf. You know, just be aware of the weaknesses of it so that you don't go out and sort of reiterate this sort of popular trope that may or may not have, you know, solid biblical teaching. But I would actually encourage pastors too, like, you know, your seminary professors, you know, friends who are, get to spend a lot more time thinking about and researching these things than you do. Go ahead and ask them, you know, give somebody a call and say, Hey, does Abba really mean daddy? Okay. You know, or, uh, you know, did the Nephilim descend from aliens? Okay. These, these are all really good questions that you can ask other people. And when your congregation member brings it to you, you can say, well, here are some options. Okay. Uh, on how we might think about that and be willing to say at times, you know, I don't know. Let, let me look into that and get back to you. There's also in which uh, a place in which, you know, uh, we've emphasized so much of the uh, application of the academy or scholarship in ministry uh, that, uh, you know, uh, we need uh, pastors to know how to teach guys, to know how to handle the truth in a way that's constructive and not beat people over the head with it. In other words, it's not enough to know the truth. We know how we need to know how to communicate that with love. If it's just speaking truth, Howard Stern is the greatest Christian there is, and and that's not right. Um, <laughs> you know, we need to know how to communicate this in a way that is edifying and encouraging. And I guess that's one reason why one thing that I've found challenging as a professor now on the more academic aspect of the of the ministry of the church is, you know, we communicate, we teach what we do, and uh, we try to communicate as much helpful information as we can, but sometimes that's not going to come across in a way that can be directly helpful to your average person within the pews. They need to know how to take all of this rich theology and truth and doctrine that, that is provided for them, uh, for our students, and to know how to communicate that in a way that your 10-year-old in your churches can communicate and understand. And it's, it's really the seasoned pastor that can help our guys do that. Um, and that's another aspect of, of uh, this pastor-scholar dichotomy that is so important. Any resources we can point people to to help, particularly pastors who are thinking, how do I stay somewhat you know, on step with what's going on in the academic world? Any resources, brothers, that come to mind? Yeah, I think a lot of the uh, writings from the Center for Pastor Theologians come to mind. Um, Center for Pastor Theologians is a good group of folks, and they truly tried to cultivate this uh, historic vision of what it means to be a pastor, I think, in terms of a pastor who is a scholar, a pastor who is a student. Um, and I think their particular book that I have in mind here is Gerald Histant and Todd Wilson's co-author book. I think it's Becoming a Pastor Theologian. I think it was with IVP Press. And so they just try to sketch why Pastor Theologian uh, located historically, warranted by way of the scriptures, and also sketch some practices that we could do to cultivate this mode of being a pastor. What I do is, um, you know, we're in the Northern Virginia area. So I always look up the main local universities, right? Including uh, George Mason University, George Washington University, Georgetown, and so forth. And what I do is I actually look at which scholars are like residential and I read um, just their most recent works. 
even if it seems like uh, what they're writing about has nothing to do with theology and ministry. Uh, the reason why I sort of focus on the local area is because uh, their thinking probably will reflect some of the more local thinking as well. I uh, regularly review Cambridge University Press and Oxford University Press and just see what they release. Um, and I find that what's helpful is they provide summaries of their new releases and uh, just that habit of looking at that maybe once a month has uh, been very fruitful for me. I guess one thing I would encourage is uh, for uh, pastors to maybe consider just like coming back to seminary and taking a class once a year, even if it's a class that they took before, Doctrine of God, uh, well, you know, something like that. It's just a way to um, to exercise your mind it's also a way to see, in fact, if there are current trends that need to be watched out for and what are the, uh, the, the parameters of the discussion. I, I'm uh, always curious to see how, um, how the doctrine of the Trinity has sort of resurged itself now as a point of discussion and publications are being done on it. So what, why? You know, from a pastor's perspective who may not be aware of what's going on here is what, why is this being talked about again? I thought we solved this issue. You know, I thought we had clear clarity on, on this. So what, what is being discussed, who is saying it, and, um, and what are the points of discussion? And, and to go back to a seminary class to kind of hear what that's being talked about is, I think, a real helpful way. And it's only, you know, especially in classes like um, the way that we have it here in D.C., where you have intensive formats, it's asking for a week. Now, granted, it's an intensive week, but it's, it's asking only for a week of your time to, to do that. So I, I think that'd be a good thing that I would encourage. Uh, pastors to do. That's great, Peter. Uh, two more books I could mention, I think, just to get a kind of historic sense of uh, what it means to be a Reformed pastor, as Scott Manesh's Oxford University Press book, uh, Calvin's Company of Pastors. That was a really useful book for me to see uh, how were, how was Geneva being pastored, right, by Calvin and the Company of Pastors there. Now that we want to just repristinate everything that they were doing, because it's obviously a very different context, but taking a look at their theological principles that they that guided their pastoral ministry, the practices that they were doing, we could really learn a lot from uh, their historical example. Also recently from Lexham Press is a Kevin Van Hooser's little book, Cures and Doers. Um, that book is trying to sketch how theology is what matures believers. And so the task of the pastor is really to mature believers by way of theology, doctrine, exegesis. And so that, I think, is a good starting point as well if we want to get at what it means to be a pastor or student. That's great. We had Scott Manage come and teach uh, a class, basically, out of that book a few years ago and uh, look forward to having him come back again. Um, I would also just add to that two points. Look at bibliographies. See what people are reading who you like. Um, pull up, uh, you know, pull up, if it's in the area of biblical theology, pull up an intro to the Old Testament and see what are the what are the major resources for a particular book in the Bible. Um, that's one way to go about it. I think bibliographies are huge. They're they're a great value in service to the guild, as it were, and to all of us because they help us organize uh, intellectual histories on on an idea. But I would also say, take a scholar whom you really appreciate and just start working through their work. Um, there's something that happens 
when I think you read a topic or you read, you delve into a theme through the eyes and the development of another human being. Don't do it so that you can make that person be like your guy so that you're on their team or something like that, but do it almost as what we call like a heuristic tool, you know, a way of discovery. Take somebody, and uh, I remember doing this with Voss. Uh, I remember doing this with Klein. I remember doing this, and just because I'm, of course, Old Testament studies, you know, doing this with Bruce Walke, my professor, you know, and just working through their thought processes and getting to see how they developed ideas. And, and most people, unless, you know, there, there are your D.A. Carsons out there who seem to publish a book every five minutes, but most scholars have a, a, a very finite bibliography of their own work. And so you can work through it relatively quickly. And as you're doing it, pay attention to their argument, how it's developing and look and see who's influencing them. And that's a great way to dig more deeply into an area with a, with a tour guide, as it were, you know, you're, you're, you're basically assigning that person to be your docent or your tour guide, taking you through a particular theme. And so I, I'd encourage people to think about doing that as well. Um, with that said, uh, let's go ahead and close up this discussion. There's, there's a lot going on in the world, and I can honestly say uh, I'm convicted of this idea as a seminary professor that in the world ahead, we don't need less theology. We don't need less insight. We need more insight into scripture and how to apply it in the world around us. The world, look, the world ahead is not looking for people who don't know their Bibles and don't know how to think through it in ways that are historically tested and historically affirmed. So that's a job that we all need to be about, whether you're a seminary professor or a pastor or a Christian. I think we need to be able to engage in our world in a more developed and a more insightful way. So with that said, this podcast discussion comes to a close. It's great seeing and hearing from everybody, and I look forward to being with you all again. And for our listeners, until next week, take care. So let's start off with this idea of the pastor scholar. How do we define pastor scholarship? Hey, Scott, did you mean pastor scholar or pastor scholarship? Well, we can do it either way. Okay. How do we define the pastor scholar? <laughs>